Trading Nut, episode 28. To be fair, I think crypto's made me a better forex trader. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than... I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax. Learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up traders, welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast, I'm your host Cam Hawkins and today I've got a trader on the show by the name of Lindley Pillay. Now, you've probably never heard of Lindley before unless you roll in certain circles. Now, Lindley is actually one of my long-time listeners, so he was listening to the show way back before episode, I would say episode 10 of the 52 Traders Podcast, so we're talking like almost three, well, Actual fact, yeah, just about three years ago, I think. Three year, years ago. So this guy's been around for a long time. He actually recommended me to one of the more interesting traders on that first uh, podcast. His name was Hishu Han. So he introduced me to him. He said, hey, this guy took, I think it was like a 1000 bucks to $100,000 in a week and showed a bunch of these traders. And anyway, I got him on the show couple of fantastic episodes that I ran with Hishu Khan. Um, he's actually got something up in the uh, in the membership area as well. Not the membership area, in the, in the courses area as well. So there's some a course there that he left us um, if you want to check that out. So so anyway, that's how Lindley became part of the Trading Nut community, part of 52 Traders. Um, he's been around for a while. And look, he was listening to some of the earlier episodes of the Trading Nut podcast felt a bit strongly about some of the views on crypto because he's got got on himself heavily into the crypto space. He's on a lot of the big crypto forums. He's managed to, to, uh, to, I suppose, make connections with guys in these forums, and he's really in that inner circle. So I said, why don't you get on the show and let's dispel some of the myths that you've heard from some of the other guests and really just, I suppose, go over crypto and hopefully educate you guys on all things crypto once again. Now, um, one thing with this episode that the audio wasn't the flashiest. We had a lot of breaks. We had a lot of uh, hiccups. Uh, so Lindley's in South Africa. I don't know if it was the, the New Zealand-South Africa um, rivalry there with the rugby. I'm not too sure, but there was something going on with the uh, the audio. So just bear with us in that, with regard to that. Um, and we do jump around a little bit as well. So just bear with me in regard to that as well. Now, before we get into that interview, I do want to mention an email that came through to me from one of you listeners out there. Now, this guy's name was Rob. Now, Rob sent me through quite a long, detailed email, which I thought was worthwhile sort of pulling out some some points here. So his main, uh, the gist of the email was, he wanted me to ask the guys I interview uh, whether or not they use limit orders or market orders. Now, it seems a bit sort of redundant to, to to most people out there listening. I'm assuming it might seem a bit redundant if you haven't listened to a lot of the shows or if if you're new to trading. But I think this question is actually vital. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to, well, I'm going to make a note to, to ask it in the next interview that I do because it is quite important. And what he, what he goes on to say here is uh, is this. I believe this is important for several reasons. So firstly, most positions are entered with limit orders by institutions. So why are the retail traders largely not doing so? Uh, secondly, the risk to reward can be vastly increased by entering at turning points or bounce points whereby stop orders get us in late. Uh, so I'm, I think he's talking about market orders in terms of, oh, or is he talking about stop orders, buy stops, sell stops? I think he might be talking about market orders there. Um Please confirm, Rob, if you hear this. Now, also, these uh, those that enter with limit orders can exit positions where retail traders are getting in. Uh, so these are just some of the things he had to sort of thoughts around limit orders. Now, I do think it is important. Um, I've recently moved to a more of a limit order-based approach myself, and I found that it's it has done those three things, right? It has done those three things. I've been able to get into positions um, 
that probably the institutions are picking and also you know where the retail traders are getting in as well so um, so I think it's valid I'm going to go and ask this question going forward I'm going to make a note of it after I record this so I don't forget in the next interview I do but it's not going to be the next interview that comes out or I most likely won't um, but it'll be one in the future now talking about interviews coming out whilst you're listening to this and thinking well, you know, this isn't the normal sort of episode that you do here on Trading Nut. There is actually another interview who I've released to this week with uh, another on another trading podcast. So, if you are on my email list, you can go in and check that out. It'll be I'll be sending out another email when it goes live sometime this week, I believe, and uh, you'll be able to hear me talk about what I've learnt over the course of doing the Trading Nut podcast and the Fifty Two Traders podcast. Okay, so it only goes for about twenty odd minutes, so it's a short, sharp, sweet, but you get a real condensed view if you don't want to go through and listen to every other episode, which I do recommend you do because there's a lot of good episodes in this catalog or in the 52 traders catalog there's like an amount an immense amount of information that you can actually gather from listening to those and you can buy those episodes just for uh ten dollars well 9.99 gets you one episode or you can buy a chunk and there's a coupon codes in the members area as well so just join to get those coupon codes and you can buy them and buy the stuff in the shop with the coupons now last but not least um, as I did mention, I changed my approach and started using limit orders. And I've also, with one of the robots, changed um, as part of the Robot Traders Club, I've changed that significantly as well. And I'm actually sort of combining the two approaches. What I found was it worked. Last week, did 20% on the robot. So, really, really happy with one particular robot in the Robot Traders Club. Um, grew the account by 20% in one week. And it was, it was a unique approach. And I think it's probably one that. I'm going to give it another go this week and see how it goes. Um, it's one that's a bit different, but how do I explain it? It's sort of it's, it's, it's fuzzy. I'm just going to call it fuzzy, okay? That's what it is. It's fuzzy. Um, I did a little video for the members of the Robot Traders Club. Chucked it up there in, um, in there. So if you are a member, if you're not a member, you know where to go, tradingnut.com, and you can get access to that there. There's a trial that you can take where you get two trading robots off the out of the gate. Okay. All right, folks. Um, without further ado, let's get on with this different but interesting and educational interview with Lindley. All right, folks, we've got Lindley on the show here. So Lindley uh, has been a long-time listener of the show, and uh, he's got very strong views on crypto. After listening to some of the more recent guests, I mean, we went through that big boom on uh, and back in 2017, was it, where Bitcoin went from 3K to 20K and back down it has come. Everyone's gone quiet. All the people out there that were, like, starting to build websites in the crypto space have decided that it's not worth it anymore and all the hype's disappeared um lindley's in the in the in the meantime has, has got a completely different story actually lindley i must thank lindley lindley first of all welcome to the show then i'm going to thank you mm-hmm. how's it going over there in south Four. africa uh, good weather still summer um not too bad not too bad. It's always summer over there, isn't it? It's always good weather. Um, I had to thank Lily because he's the one that introduced me to Hishu Han, who was on the show back in episode 14, who sent me sort of onto the right path. And um, I learned an awful lot from Hishu Han. He was, a, he was a really incredibly good trader. I don't know what he's doing these days. I heard the last thing I heard, um, he had some medical issues. Um, so I wish him all the best, but uh, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything from him since then. What about yourself, Lindley? Have you heard anything from Hishu Han recently? No, I sort of went a different route. But, you know, everything helps in trading, I suppose. Exactly. So um, so we got you on the show here today to talk about crypto. crypto and we don't often do... Um, do crypto interviews only. I've done a couple, so this one's going to be interesting, and we're just going to wing it. Um, first of all, I mean, why, why, you know, you sent me a message saying, hey, look, I really have to vehemently disagree with some of the things that have been said in the last few episodes um, with regard to crypto and what some of the traders have, that have been on there, and I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about... Um, if Mianti, uh, Bitcoin's going to disappear, but something will stick around. Uh, and um, 
what was the other one? Oh, Chris Laurie, who was Chris just Dottie. gone, who said, I can't remember what he said, the institutions will take over and, and that'll be it. So um, so what are your views, Lindley? Well, I'm not saying that I disagree that it might disappear. There's always that possibility. I mean, nothing is cast in stone. The dollar could disappear. The likelihood of it disappearing, well... I don't think it's any time in our lifetime. But I do think that as a trader or anybody that trades tends to be a lot more short-term in the thinking. And even if they're looking at long-term weeks and months trading-wise, they're not looking at the overarching belief of something. So really get into with crypto is that there's a few things that crypto sort of turns on its head. It's like, when we are doing a transaction, when if I buy something from you, you need to perceive a certain amount of value transfer from me to you. And the product that I want, that I want. Um, where people are sort of stuck on, they're saying, well, Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. And my question is, so what intrinsic value does the dollar have? Because it's a piece of paper. Yeah, and, good point. Um, it's sort of the overarching beliefs of what money is. And if you start looking into that things, I know it's easy to discount something and say, and look, Bitcoin is just an asset class and it probably will disappear because it's just brought us how to do digital money. Um, yes, it has. But there's also people who understand what it is. Um, so... There's a few sort of global words that one has to use, and I don't know if everybody looks at it in that way, but sovereignty of the individual is one thing that Bitcoin brings into the fore again. In that, in, in the grand scheme of everything that you own, you don't actually own it because it can be taken away and be removed from you. If your government decides that your value of your bank account the actual New Zealand dollars, if they decide that that is worth nothing, it's worth nothing. And what can you do about that? You can't do anything about it. You will cease to have the ability to transact in any way. If the banks decide tomorrow, we don't want to give your money back, what can you do about it? Um. I mean, if you look at Northern Rock, I suppose, over in the UK, when that folded and, and some of these other institutions folded and there's people queuing up at the door um, to try and get their money out and they can't because they don't have any money. It's the run on the bank, isn't it? It's possible. And look, I mean, I'd say that it was conspiracy talk if it didn't happen to certain countries like Zimbabwe sitting in a bad space right now. They can't actually do anything. Um, there's Venezuela. And cryptocurrency seems to have helped them. They in between a Bitcoin and a Digibyte environment in terms of being able to transact. And the thing is, I'm not talking about the value and the tradable asset of it. I'm talking about the concept of being able to pass value from one person to the next. And for the better part of our lives, we believe that you need to trust some third party in the process. You're not going to interact with the website until you see the very signed deal or whatever, MasterCard or whatever. They take their fees for that. And the the old, you have a cow, I give you 30 chickens, you give me a cow. There's no third party in there. Um, Bitcoin sort of brings that back into the sort of fold in terms of how we transact with each other. Now, I don't know how it works in New Zealand, but in South Africa, if I want to send money across the border, I have to go sit with the tax um, people, SARS in our case, and I have to prove to them that I have the assets and the funds. Then I have to go through this tedious process of sitting down with them. They then give me a tax credit certificate. Then I go to the bank. I have to explain again to them where I'm sending the money. This is even if it's one rand. 
and then they charge me an arm and a leg and tell me, well, it's going to take five days for it to get there. If I transfer that value via Bitcoin, it takes 10 minutes to confirm on the blockchain. Okay, it can be a bit longer sometimes. The fees is ask anybody permission to do that. I can just trust that the blockchain will do what it says it's going to do. And that entire system works like that. I mean, I can go into depth how it works, but it's not really important in the grand scheme of being able to transact. And ultimately, Bitcoin, the payment network, is just a ledger of inputs and outputs. And if we look at our financial system, it is just a ledger of inputs and outputs because the only thing they can't control is cash. But anything in the bank side of things is fully digital. When do they actually cash? I mean, well, we just lost you there. Am, for am a I second. going off on a tangent here? Oh, we lost. I lost. No, you for no, a second. I went quiet. Yeah. Oh, you went quiet. It's like when do I, we actually? I just went quiet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you. Um, so. So you've got. So if you're going to fund a brokerage account, you've got to go and get get the tax man to give you approval to send funds, or or can you can you still use things like PayPal in that? You can use PayPal, but once again, it goes into the situation. And but I know a few guys that are into internet marketing, and they're getting their accounts slapped closed. Yeah, left, right, and center. So the thing is. We believe that we're free, but we're not free because the people who have control over what we are doing, transacting, saying, and I'm not saying we are inherently wanting to do evil things, but if you say something that Facebook disagrees with, it will take your stuff down. If PayPal sees something that's questionable according to their elaborate terms and conditions because it shifts all the time, then I don't feel that it's going to end up where I want it to end up. Yeah, I mean, it, so, you're right. I mean, yes, you can you're use right. credit cards also. You're right. I mean, like, over the years, you've, you know, even the last 10, 15 years, you've noticed, I mean, with anti-money laundering, FATCA, mm. um, what's the other one? KYC, know your customer. So all these things have come in, and it's only getting more and more stringent. And look, I mean, it's, it's mainly to, to try and, well, look, the story is it's mainly to try and stop the the underworld transacting with you know money laundering and all that sort of stuff um whether or not there's a there's another story to it i don't know if you if you ask if my auntie maybe he's got a view on it i'm sure he has um but it's it seems that you know it's I've only going one, it. it's what's your view i'd be interested in your view look my question is always if i'm a money launderer why on earth would I go through an anti-money laundering process? I know I'm going to launder money. So I'm not going to use that means to do it. But every innocent person has to go through the process to prove that they're not a money launderer. It makes zero sense in my mind. And it's not preventing it because it's only announcing to them, don't use this means. Find some other way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you think about that, actually, you know, I've never really. I mean, I was at the bank trying. I was at, when I was working for a bank. I was at the bank trying to implement the anti money laundering um, new facility, and it was yeah, like it was putting a lot of a lot of extra steps in for the individual. And like we had, you know, we got taught why we're doing it, and it's to stop the you know money laundering. And um, but really, it's because the the rules are in there to to stop. You know, and you've got to abide by the rules. And the banks need to abide by the rules, hence why this, what, what, what they're going to do. So now they can't use the banks, but what are they going to use now? Is it cryptocurrency? I don't know. Probably. Well, on one end, one of the reasons Bitcoin became sort of what it is, is it solved one of the two issues with a money dispenser, if you want to put it that way. The, the the thing that was preventing digital money from becoming usable was the double spend factor. What's the what's the double spend factor? So, and and most banks and 
financial institutions won't let you know this, but when you swipe your credit card, that money doesn't get removed from your account immediately. It just gets reserved. Technically, digitally, that can be spent again because the accounting system hasn't moved the actual funds yet. It's, it's an elaborate system at the other end trying to prevent that double spend of, of spending the same amount of money twice before reconciliation. So you'll, you'll notice that on your credit card statement, when you swipe it, it will say pending and actual transactions. Oh, yeah, of course. So, yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 I noticed that. So the entire financial system works on that in that the, the reconciliation process is where all the admin and the fees and all of that stuff exists, and that's why they charge the fees to be able to reconcile those things. Now, within the Bitcoin network, it doesn't rely on any institution to do that. What it does is when, when you send a transaction out, it goes into the mempool and all the nodes start to see it, and the miners need to now compete. Essentially, you're sending out one massive calculation, and the miners across the world wherever they are, are competing, sending out solutions to that all the time. Once that solution is met and the block is accepted or the transaction is accepted, it gets put into the block. And once that block closes, that mining um, company or entity gets rewarded in Bitcoin. But once that block is closed, it becomes what they call immutable. And it doesn't need any person to do that. It doesn't need a third party to say that is authentic. The blockchain itself verifies all the nodes agree across the world that it is so. So, it's built on game theory. And obviously, there are certain negatives in that you can have a 51% attack. But currently, Bitcoin has been running for just over 10 years now. That is birthday a few weeks ago. But it has never been successfully hacked and is not financially viable to hack it. You'd have to spend quite a few billion. And you'll only get that 10-minute 10 10 minute window to be able to double spend in that, in that time. Right. You'd have to be really quick. Oh. And so it's not financially viable to hack it. Even if you had 51% um, hashing power, if you are getting paid in Bitcoin, it wouldn't make sense for you to take the network down because you'd be ruining the value of your entire institution. Yeah, interesting stuff. I've never really got into this much detail around it, but that's um, that's that's quite clever then <laughs> from the developer's point of view. Well, so Satoshi Nakamoto, whether he's a person or an entity, built it around that economic model of game theory. And... The problem with people and Bitcoin is that they only ever see the hype side of it and they're not understanding that this is actually a solution to an economic situation and it is an economic model. It's just not based on what our finance is, is Keynesian, I think. So it's based on more an Austrian concept of deflationary money in that when you hold it over time, it's going to increase in value. This is what you want money to be. It needs to be hard to... To, to make. It's not easy to get a Bitcoin to come out of the system. You have to spend a lot of money to mine it out there. And this way money becomes anti-fragile. And in terms of sovereignty, you then own that. You are the only person, if you have a private key to your wallet, that has access to it. No one can remove that from you. No one can move it without that private key. So, and, and the decentralized side of it was the other issue with money in that if I create money and I'm a company domiciled in, let's say, the U.S., as soon as I become a threat, I just become, well, the government will just make it illegal. And then that's happened a few times, DigiCash, I think DigiGold or eGold or something. As soon as you become a threat in the monetary space, they will just render you illegal. That was the second thing that Bitcoin resolved was that it's actually decentralized and it doesn't exist in any one country. And no one country can decide anything on Bitcoin. So 
which leads me to what it was really created for. And I'm not the best person to speak about this. I mean, I've just read about stuff, but there's a book by Saifuddin Aos called The Bitcoin Standard. Probably, I would say, The Bible of Bitcoin. What was his name again? Sorry, I think you we, broke up there a little bit. It's, it's quite a difficult name. It's Saifuddin Amos. But if you just search in Amazon, The Bitcoin Standard, it will be the first one that comes up. Cool. I think about 60% of the book is just about economics, and then he starts explaining about actual Bitcoin. So one of the things Bitcoin was created to do was not necessarily to be able to pay for coffee and apples and stuff every day. It was to replace settlement on a central bank level because that level of security per transaction is just way more than you need for coffee. It will also be pretty expensive to buy that coffee. And if the global unit of account, which is currently the dollar, if people don't have a problem with that, then I don't understand how they think about things because that's if Bitcoin became that and that's where it's aimed at, then no country owns that and no country can mess around with supply because there's a, a set amount of supply. Once it hits 20 million, that is it. At this point, the unit of account being the dollar means that the U.S. has the ability to rule the world because they can print that dollar at home. And they don't have to divulge to anybody how much dollars sit in the system. And that's why I'm saying when traders make certain comments, while you're making it as if this is going to exist forever. Well, then in that case, yes, Bitcoin might never see the light of day. But what if it changes? And... I mean, we don't even know if the government's created Bitcoin. We don't know that. Yeah. But all I can say is that it exists now. And there's a lot more going on. If we get to it, I'll, I'll prove to you that it's a lot more of an open system. It's not necessarily not manipulated. But I would venture to say that if in the forex market something is manipulated, you don't get to see the accounts of all the major banks. Within the Bitcoin world, you can see all the major wallets. They are tracked all day long, every day. You can see the transactions go if you want to. And that's why I laugh when people say that um, it's for criminals. I mean, why would a criminal use a Bitcoin network? You can trace every transaction they're ever going to do. Yes, maybe you can't link it to a person immediately, but it's possible. You'd be stupid as a thief to do that. So... um. That's just the technicalities of Bitcoin. I'm saying if, if you understand the overarching thing, I'm okay in being in the cryptocurrency world because fundamentally I, I want freedom for all of humans to be able to be to be free, to be able to make choices, to to live a life, to have a good life. It's not always able to happen in our current world. And, it, and it's, Bitcoin wasn't created to equalize wealth in the world either. That's never going to happen. It's just human nature, I suppose. It's um. But, I'm, I'm glad we got you on because it's um. It's fascinating to to hear all this stuff. I mean, I I haven't spent enough time to read up on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to to really get a good feel for you know all the detail. And I think anyone who who wants the detail, just go back and listen to the last twenty minutes of Lindley, and you're pretty much going to get the full story. Save you probably you know a good six hours reading a book um but one one thing i've got a question on so the um so this you know we're talking about bitcoin here and, and i think some of the guys were saying like you know bitcoin will disappear because the institutions or, or the empire or whoever will create their own coin and that will be the coin that carries on which which is really saying that cryptocurrencies have a have a place in the here and now but it's not necessarily going to be bitcoin i mean what what have what have your views on that I'd say, and here's where I'm going to bring church up. I mean, I only say that because it's a topic I know. But the Catholic Church, up until Martin Luther came along, didn't believe that anything would change. And 
they believed that they held the truth only and they could control everything by keeping the truth away from people. But not letting the common man understand it. Economics, as we stand right now, is extremely complicated. I mean, it's so complicated you wonder why. <laughs> and it really, it's based on a debt system that is unending. And if the, that curtain ever came down, most people would probably end up in civil war or something. But my thing is still that ultimately money is a simple thing. It's an expression and a transfer of value on the base level from a person to a person. If you understand that, there now exists a system that doesn't need anything else. So the power lies in more people using cryptocurrency, more people accepting it as value. And it's up to the people who are in it not to punt it as a get-rich thing, but a use case of saying, well, you don't have to be controlled in the way you transact and be monitored in everything. It's not like you're an evil person. You just want to be able to send something somewhere and get something. You can accept it and you can work with a governmental institution. They just don't have control over what the price of it is, which they can if they silently buy or sell. I don't know. <laughs> But but my point is that there's always critical mass to anything, a point at which something will shift. If more people get involved with crypto, it will become more stable. It will become more use, usable. I mean, yes, tell it of swiping your card or tapping your card, you have to wait 10 minutes on a blockchain. They're not going to be accepting of that. Nobody's asking people to do that. They're working on what they call the second layer called lightning, which is essentially what MasterCard would be on top of a banking system. And those things are being worked on, but dealing with the overarching concept of whether the, the empire will allow it, well, the empire isn't in charge all the time until you let them be. Like, you only have power over me if I give it to you. It depends on how many people are under that power versus not. So I'd say on the ground level, if more people started using cryptocurrency and just accepting it, there's very little they can do about it. They can't stop it. They can make it difficult to go back to dollars and whatever else in your local currency, but they can't stop the Bitcoin network. They can just publicly make it perceived to be bad or whatever. And and so what do you reckon about so, um, IC, the ICOs and the, the other alt, altcoins and all that sort of stuff? How, how do you see those playing out in the future? In the grand scheme of things, I would say I'm sort of a 70% Bitcoin maximalist. So I, I believe that altcoins are actually a distraction. They They... Either a distraction or uh, what do you call it, a test ground for what can ultimately come back onto Bitcoin then. Right. So the problem that I have with, with ICOs is that a lot of them haven't brought their products to fruition. And the, the minute they create something, they become a centralized point of attack, if you want to put it that way. So if, the, if you are being able to be sued for something, then you are not decentralized. And that wouldn't work for this versus the empire, if you want to put it that way. So in, any functionality is going to bring, I would say, just adopt it into Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has a lot of things that can work on it. Tokens and all of those things can work on the Bitcoin network. We just need to, I can say find a use case for it but but i would reason that we're going to end up with about four or five now in terms of my portfolio i am one of those people that's been around so long i've got literally like 60 70 different types of coins that i've got investments in if you want to put it that way i've seen my portfolio drop 90 percent too so um I'm going to say I sort of made my dollar value, cashed that out, and now I invest with crypto to crypto only. 
and now I trade crypto to crypto. I don't necessarily cash out now. So now I'm just looking at how the market's moving, growing. And obviously it brings a different dynamic because I, I don't know if you know, but the sort of smallest increment of Bitcoin is what they call the Satoshi. So all the traders will be calling sets and stuff like that. So there's a three-way trade you can have, which was not normal. So in Forex, you're trading that against that and your base currency of your account is dollar. Whereas in crypto, you can have base currency Bitcoin and trade dollar versus something else. Or you could have base currency dollar and still trade two cryptos against each other. It, it sort of gets complicated, but you need to determine, am I one? Oh, look, looks like we just lost you there for a second. So you're talking about the three-way no. three trade there, Lindley. How, explain that again. So you could do a three-way trade as opposed to like Forex, for example, where it's two currencies against each other. You, you've got um, a currency, two cryptos against each other. And um, and how does that sort of trade? How, do, how on earth do you do that sort of trade? It sounds awfully complicated. Well, basically what it comes down to is there's, there's three approaches, I would say, to a person coming into crypto that's not involved at all. Firstly, if you agree that freedom of humanity is something worthwhile and you want to hedge against something going horribly pear-shaped, it is probably in your best interest to take 1% of your net worth and put it into Bitcoin and not worry about the price. That's just on a purely things could possibly work out there and could possibly horribly fail too. But it's a good edge if you want to put it that way. Secondly, if you're going to actively trade, you need to get into the understanding that there's two types of value you can have if you're going to trade in cryptos. You're either going to grow your fiat amount, which is your dollar or whatever your base currency in your country is, or your Bitcoin value, which will is demarcated into Satoshi's. So Bitcoin has essentially 18 zeros behind the one. And that is built specifically for, look, on the global money scale, there's M1, M2, M3. And if the entire monetary system gets put into Bitcoin and each Satoshi becomes one cent, Bitcoin becomes $100 million, if you want to put it that way. Right, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But that doesn't mean that how can I say you transact in a hundred million? You, you just because you can work behind the zeros, transactions can happen in the eighteen decimals of things worldwide. Um, that's just understanding how the zeros work. But I don't think all exchanges show that eighteen decimals because it just becomes dust if you want to put it that way. And so. Okay. What I was going to ask was to, to sort of wrap this all up was um, how, how do you how do you trade Bitcoin? Like, what's your sort of how do you approach this, which is different from, uh, say, for example, forex. The first thing is that, like, I use Binance is probably the most popular crypto exchange, and they don't use leverage. So, what I like about trading is if I'm trading Bitcoin, let's say against Litecoin. I'm not in a leveraged environment, so I can I can say I can't lose my shirt in the trade. I'm I'm trading actual coin for another coin or coins. And yes, the dollar value might fluctuate, but if I'm only interested in building my Bitcoin amount, I'm not interested in the dollar value of it. So on that level, as normal trading, and my thing is. In Forex, there's a lot of players in the market that are a lot smarter than all of us, and you pretty much don't win most of the time. In the crypto space, there isn't large institutions in there. There's just a lot of other crypto traders and a few. It's a lot easier to read the charts and to know what's going to happen to a degree. You can see volume, you can see buyers and sellers, and every exchange becomes a, a little island because it's not interconnected with each other completely. They don't have to declare anything to each other. 
um, that makes life a bit easier to, let's say you're using volume and using volume profile and stuff like that. It's a lot easier to see where support and resistance is. If you're going to base it, then if you're going to use leverage, there's places like BitMix, which I wouldn't recommend to new people, but it's an, a leverage Bitcoin contract that you're trading. So your base currency is Bitcoin, but you can trade under to one or two, short or long. Ah. That that takes a bit of understanding yeah. to get about because Bitcoin moves, uh, depending on the, on the size of trade you're going to have, if it's one Bitcoin or 0.1 or 0.01. Um, also, it's in the early phase of these exchanges and a lot of people throw a lot of FUD around, which is fear, uncertainty and doubt. And sometimes the exchanges aren't working thoroughly because it's not, I'm going to say, it's not like there's million people in there yet. So there's massive jumps that can happen to different levels simply because of how markets work. It's not, if, the, if there's no orders in between, it doesn't become a smooth run. It becomes a jump. And, and we see this often like oh but going there wasn't a lot of people in between there wanting to buy it so it falls to the next support level that's it's not complicated so you must decide if you're either going to buy it there yourself or further so it's it's, um, so it's, it's easier to just like go from one space to the next it's just it just moves straight away you don't have to go through the emotional ride of Sitting there waiting for it to crawl all the way down, or and then retrace back and take your stop out. Is that is that why the well look uh, yeah. yeah, essentially. But look, it can chop around for a long while. In that, it's just undecided as to what's happening, or the, they call in the whales that own huge amounts. They always wanting to accumulate more, so they'll sell off to buy back later. And it's not like that's impossible to predict because you can see on the large movement on the on on volume, not just volume. Um, so let's say a, a wallet owns ten thousand Bitcoin. Um, as soon as that stuff that coin start moving, it's not like the community doesn't know about it. They can see it and attack it. And there's certain tw- Twitter accounts you can follow that will sort of let you know that it's going to happen. Also, to add fuel to fire, um, the crypto exchanges work on two types of wallets. So the, every trade that you do is not a blockchain transaction. It's what notational value in the exchange is. So they have what they call a hot wallet and a cold wallet. When there's a certain amount of value floating around there that they don't feel as safe to be in there, they'll move it to the cold wallet, which is an offline storage. What on the exchange storage. Right. I get notified immediately when that happens. So you, I can say you just need to tie up a few things and it takes a bit of learning. But once you get there, you know what's going to happen to a degree. And what, about, and what about education in terms of getting to that point where you can work out, like, how did you learn how to do that, for example? I'm in a few groups, and because I was around from the beginning, there was marketers that um, started a WhatsApp group, and they were talking a foreign language to me about Satoshis and all these things, and it forced me to actually learn it very quickly because I didn't want to seem like an idiot when I opened my mouth. Fair enough. (laughs) And some of these guys have been mining Bitcoin since it was started, basically, since they knew about it in the early um, sort of, 2011 12 era. So they accumulated their Bitcoin not necessarily by buying. And okay, mining has become quite an institutional thing for Bitcoin. I wouldn't say that people should mine it at home, but there's a lot of other coins you can mine at home. But they just had an understanding that intrigued me a bit. And you know, I, I don't know why internet marketers jumped on it. I thought it was like internet money. Ooh, we should know about that. <laughs> but it's actually a lot more deep than it, just internet money. It sounds it sounds mm-hmm. like it's it, it sounds like if you're gonna go in there, you want to do some study big time. 
before you just dive in and go, oh, it's another market. I can just I can just trade that. Um, is that is that right? Or could if you if you already, I suppose here's a couple of scenarios. What if you're struggling in say stocks or forex and or futures, and you go, oh, I'm going to give cryptos a go. Do you think that's a good move, or do you think you're still just not going to be a very good trader? Doesn't matter where you are. Well, they all agree with Chris Lowry. If if you're not doing well in forex or anything else, crypto, you're not going to do well in there. What I am saying is that I think crypto will give you a better leg up in learning how much a lot more ground level. So a lot of the guys that trade forex, they are learning charting as they're trading. They are learning support and resistance and it's like, Everyone on Facebook at some point would be asking, where is it doing? What's it doing now? What 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 should we do? And I would say that if you spent enough time in Forex, you're going to be a lot more comfortable in trading crypto. Especially for the, the fact that you can probably fund an account and be trading in less than an hour. Because you don't have to do the AML process on most things. Unless you want a certain amount of volume per day or something. But I I see that as a use case for me. Um, and you don't have to put major value in there. I mean, one exchange I can move to Bitcoin a day if I want to. I wish I, I could, but I mean... <laughs> yeah, so, I don't so, have to divulge my life story. Yeah, no, so, so, so personally, I mean, you've... You found you 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 know when I met you you were trading forex and, and now you would you say you're primarily trading cryptos and you're having more success in cryptos than you were in forex. Well, I think actually to be fair, I think cryptos made me a better forex trader. All right, but but only because I understood it finally clicked for me how markets work. Right. Dance, because because I was using unleveraged trades, it was it was a foreign concept to me. I mean, to, to be able to trade forex with no leverage, you'd have to be super wealthy. And so here you can at least but, use you can trade without leverage and trade your your own money and you know see how it goes. And you don't have to put in fortunes either you can get started quite low so it's almost like another advancement on on those that want to cut their feet in forex though that said the markets do move quite differently so you probably do need to spend time in, in both to to really um to get the advantage although that said from memory i mean did would you say that i know i'd look at bitcoin the other day and i could see it was it was moving like you know very odd from <laughs> from uh, from from what the what the forex markets move on a daily basis. Sometimes I think it does probably replicate it. But um, what do you think about like the others, like Litecoin and the sort of those altcoins that are that have got a, enough volume in it to to give it more of a, I suppose, consistent movement. Well, look, uh, I obviously have some in all of the top five, except for Ripple. I don't care much for Ripple, but. Um, it doesn't mean I don't trade Ripple, but I'm, my only outcome that I want is I want more Bitcoin at the end of the day. Right. So I'll trade all the other coins in order to make more Bitcoin. But I hold a bit of Litecoin also, and Litecoin essentially is the baby brother of Bitcoin, if you want to put it that way. And I know of late people have been wondering, okay, so if Lightning Network becomes active, why would we need Litecoin? Yeah. Because it's just a little bit faster than Bitcoin. But um, I don't know. The guy Bollinger tweeted about something saying that the Litecoin pair, trading pair, seems to be like a bell with like a, a canary in the mine. And if you watch that, you'll sort of know the sentiment of the crypto market. So when Litecoin is gaining on Bitcoin, Pretty much all markets are going to drop significantly at heading down. And it's sort of a slight predictor, so you just watch it. So it's a little bit correlated uh, to... Give um, a slight edge. Yeah, it's a, lead, it's a leading market on, on the others mm -hmm. to a certain degree. 
and, and the way I trade Forex is it's creation of market flow, I suppose. And and the, the problem that I've had in Forex is that data behind that is not easy to get hold of. And it's not cheap either. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So to know what is happening behind the actual movement is not easy. And therefore, looking at the crypto stuff, even the base exchanges will have volume. Correct volume for that exchange, at least. So it's a bit easier to look behind the market and say, okay, if there's 100,000 shorts and there's only 50,000 longs, something's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that's why it helps you trade the Forex a little bit better because it's got that volume component to it. So you're probably looking at Forex with a lot of volume eyes going forward, right? I'm a market profile Ah, uh, yeah, 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 market profile, um, yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Trader, yeah. Because I've got, got it working on MT4 for me properly. Ultimately, I stick with a bunch of groups of people that really are much further ahead than I am. So, always in Forex and in crypto. So, can I say, sentiment isn't that hard to read because you should not be looking at Twitter or Facebook for crypto sentiment. Um, in fact, if CNBC tells you buy Bitcoin, it's probably a good thing at the time because they always lay it to the party. There's actually an account that literally counter trades them. Right. So they just wait for what they say and then bang, let's counter trade. Yeah, I think whatever CNBC says is pretty much counter trade it or counter trend it. Um, it's uh, they, they're, they're always late to the party hey look um, Lindley and talk about late to the party it's getting awfully late here over in New Zealand so I'm going to um, I'm going to wrap up our chat here it's been um, really good getting you on the show to talk about that um, I you know we had a quick Skype um, messaging message a few messages on Skype before this and I thought why don't we get Lindley on to, to hear what he's got to say about cryptos I think it's been really interesting and fascinating i've actually learned quite a lot like i thought i knew a lot about cryptos but i know probably about five percent compared to what you know um and uh, and <laughs> I, i'll probably be asking you if i ever decide to trade them in the future um, what i should be doing so guys uh, i hope you enjoyed that uh it was just one of these bonus interviews here I, i'm unsure where i'm going to post it it might go on the podcast it might go on youtube it'll go somewhere and um it'll be interested in your feedback and look i'm sorry if the connection sometimes cut throughout this interview it's 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 just one of those things isn't it i think where you are the the internet's not so great is that right no yeah that's great yeah yeah south africa is always a little bit difficult all right mate well look thanks for coming on the show and um and uh yeah all the best all right, folks, hope you enjoyed that interview with Lindley and I. Now, uh, if you do want to hear more from me this week, then there's another podcast that I'm on. So go over to tradingnut.com, sign up to the email list, and I'll send you a link to the pod. Um, or you can just email me, and I'll flick you a link to it from there. And you can also email me if you're interested in building your own trading robots, because I've got a new course that's just about to launch, where I'm going to teach you guys how to build your own trading robots just like me. Or if you don't want to do that and just want to follow along, then you can sign up to the Robot Traders Club. For $7, you get access to two trading robots straight out of the gate. Um, right, Next week, we're going to have some fantastic guests coming up. But if you can't wait till then, make sure you A, subscribe to the podcast, B, review it on Apple iTunes, and C, go back and check some of the older episodes because there's words of wisdom there from professional guys who trade the markets, professional traders who do this for a full-time living. You can listen to these episodes time and time again and always pick something new out from them. So, guys, um, whilst you're doing that... I will be jumping into the markets myself now. So if I don't see you on the email, I'll see you in the markets.